Welcome to the Mo Hummer podcast. It is episode 57. I am Mo, you are Elle. Hello. Hi. How's your week been? All right, yeah. Solid? Solid. You went to a gig, didn't you? I did. How was that? Good. <laughs> are you going to tell me more about it? Sure. <laughs> single, single word answers. I went to Islington Assembly Hall in North London Ooh. to see Haken supported by Vola. Right, I've never actually been to the Assembly Hall. Is it like I a quote-unquote special venue, if you know what I mean? Um, I have no idea about the history of it, and you've completely put me on the spot. <laughs> no, it what I mean like is, like, a... is it kind of like a, is it a chapel-y kind of no, vibe or anything like that? No, it sort of looks like, well, yeah, an Assembly Hall. It kind of looks like... Um, it's like a town hall kind of thing. Yeah, but it's laid out like a theatre. So. Oh, right, okay. That's the kind of thing I meant. You yeah, know, it's got so a slightly nice vibe to it. No, I think I've actually just fooled you. <clears throat> it's not like a theatre, but... Oh, <laughs> this is... <laughs> this is painful. Yeah, never never do PR for this place, though. <laughs> there's a balcony, and then there's a bit on the ground where you can stand. So there's two floors. So when I meant theatre-style venue, I mean there's a stage. Okay a ground floor where you'd stand and a balcony part of it. Box stand in London venue, forget it. Wasn't, it. No, it forget was, it. It was nice, <laughs> but it wasn't particularly ornate. It had a very cool Latin shield on the top of the stage, which well, I like kept meaning to... Old it was coat of, of arms. Right, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And it had a Latin motto on it, per omium something. <laughs> and I kept meaning to Google it, and I didn't. So. Brilliant. Why are you always making it? Probably me stands for bog, bog, bog standard venue. That's what it stands for. Why are you always asking Forget questions? It. I've not Googled the answers. No to bands ever go there. Boring. <laughs> I, I only said that because it just sounds like it should be a cool place it to does, go. It does, doesn't but. it? And it was it was quite intimate. Actually, I was on the balcony, but it felt like you were still quite close. And you went to see uh, prog, not really prog metalers. Yeah, I mean... They're kind of in the Venn diagram of bands that fall into Hammer's world. So I'll do Because I'll lots do of people Vola like Jeffy that like them. Um, Vola were excellent. Cool. Very, very cool band. I would say they are progressive metal. So... On the heavier side of that whole... Uh, that whole stuff that Jerry and Progmag cover that we that we sometimes do, basically. <laughs> yeah, they are kind of on the, the sort of heavier end of that. From Copenhagen. Um, and they're sort of... Yeah, the progressive kind of thing, like where you've got kind of like heavy bass and quite intense vocals and amazing melody. The one thing I would say about Vola is that all of their songs have a fucking awesome melody. They all have really massive hooks, like vocal hooks that you can grab onto. And they're the kind of band where you'll listen to them over and over again and they'll just worm their way into your Which brain. Which is something you always do. You'll just, yeah. And you'll just <laughs> feel like you've known them forever and that's the great thing watching their set. There was no song where I was bored. Every song I was like, oh, I love this song. This has got a really cool melody. Like, they go down well with the, the Harkin faithful. They did, actually. People were getting into it. And I think Vola is still finding their feet performance-wise. It was quite an awkward setup on the stage because... Vo- uh, Haken had all their stuff on the stage so Vola were kind of slightly pushed into a corner and their drummer was kind of in the back right corner and um, singer was sort of towards the front and then the other two kind of fit around them so they look very comfortable on stage but I think they're still kind of finding their presence and their way with sort of the musical performance aspect but having sure. said that they're all incredible musicians and they played fantastically and they played with a lot of confidence and I was really really impressed and I want to go and see them do their own show because cool. they've done quite a lot of support slots I think but not 
really much of their own thing and uh, I want to see it they're great listen right to Volo I would really back that band I think they're fantastic really good at song craft you know mm, that's so cool what about the headliners and if you like heavy bands you'll probably like them yeah uh, Haken so I have never been too sure about Haken which is why I went to check them out I would say they're quite like a smaller version of Dream Theatre you've got kind right. of the they are a prog band I would say you know the, the crowd there was very much a prog crowd as you mentioned Jerry the editor of prog magazine he was there <laughs> having a fantastic time Excellent. a few drinks down and what I would say is that the crowd were really really into it the fans that were there obviously loved the songs they were singing them back there was a moment where I was watching them and the front row rather than moshing were swaying their bodies and their arms to the music because it does get proggy they're one of those, ba- those bands where they'll play a song and they'll go off for five minutes and do a proggy interlude they're all incredible musicians like totally totally spot on and virtuosos uh, for me I can find that a bit dry I prefer to listen to songs that have more of not a typical song structure exactly, but again have that melody that Vola do so well that I was just talking about. And Haken yeah. for me can be a little bit dry and proggy because I'm not so fussed about those kind of interludes. So my attention was wandering a bit with them, but the yeah the crowd really into it. They had a lot of energy. They um, had a, a keyboard player. We've talked before about bands like Power Wolf, where the keyboard players are kind of like the star of the show. <laughs> yeah, well they were so well. Uh, well, you know, they, they come out to the front of the stage and they really, really perform and they're really into it. And the same with Haken, their keyboardist was kind of strapping on a guitar, like coming to the front of the stage and playing with the guitarist and kind of getting involved. I feel like being a keyboardist has a bit more currency in prog music. I think it does, definitely. It's kind of like a cool, you're, you're kind it's of, cool you're, you're in the cooler part of the band uh, and that's hierarchy. What, <laughs> that's what I'd say, actually. They're quite a nerdy band, but it felt sort of like a safe space like everyone in the room was there because they're like nerdy prog and they were all just like unashamedly loving it like no guilty pleasure whatsoever too too right Uh, the singer came out one time in like a pair of glasses Um, he was very kind of like flamboyant and quite (laughs) very specific things no like not like a pair of glasses like for seeing like kind of those glasses with lines on oh well like Kanye glasses yeah, yeah okay. kind of came out and they were sort of doing like um, it's because they've got some sort of sci-fi themes it felt a little bit sci-fi probably if you're a Haken fan you maybe know more about that aspect of the show than me I was like oh he's come out in classes yeah probably specific reference points and all the rest of it yeah um, but it was yeah that's what it was it was a progressive metal band and again me and Jerry were talking about this he was saying they, they're definitely metal they've got riffs in there and they have got heavier bits they have got riffier bits where they kind of get into it but then because they go off on these prog odysseys, I would say they kind of still lie more in that camp than they do in our camp. Interesting. If you're a Dream Theatre fan, probably love it, so... Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Dream Theatre... Uh, and I would definitely say, judging by their performance, they're going to go on to do bigger venues and bigger things because they've got their show nailed and they've got a very captive fan base who seem to really love what they do. Awesome. But... In the grand scheme of things, Vola win the day. Vola win the day, 100%. Lots of shit going on in the metal world this week, aren't they? Jesus. Yeah, Um, I can't keep up. The one thing a lot of people have been asking us about, and we'll get to some particular questions on it later, um, Chris Fenn has left Slipknot. Yeah. Do we care? 
I care in the sense that it's a member of Slipknot, but I'm not sure I care specifically about Chris. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, we always used to refer to Slipknot as the nine, the non-tet. You know, it, it's always with Slipknot, obviously. <laughs> the not, as they're famously known, yeah. the non-tet. <laughs> but you, you kind of do, and obviously it's very obvious thing to say, everyone's got their number, and yep. it's a thing that there's nine of them, and obviously, um, you know, the sad loss of Paul Gray... Uh, whatever the circumstances were around Joey's departure, obviously there was illness and there was some inter-band stuff going on there. They've had to bring in a couple of other people, but they're still, they're still kind of sort of doing the nine thing, but it feels less like the original Slipknot because it is, and now Chris has left. That leaves us with six original members. Mm. Or um, like certainly uh, most well-known members. Yeah, obviously you can go back before they got famous and there were people like oh, Donny Boy. Yeah, yeah. Donny was in it. Yeah. But if we're talking about the nine as people recognise them, we're now on six of the nine. So two-thirds of the, of the nine. <laughs> getting some <laughs> weird maths. Doing some maths. <laughs> so it's quite a weird one, isn't it? You know, if you consider that's the original lineup. I mean, many, many bands lose slash replace members, but with something like Slipknot, when they came out, it was, we are the nine. Yeah, it's such group. a gang mentality. This unit, yeah, all dressing the same and, um, you know, kind of, ha- like you said, having that shared mentality of what they do. It is quite weird now that it, it's six mm. with extra people. It's, a, it's an odd one, isn't it? I think, yeah. I think, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of joking about Chris leaving because obviously he was the quote-unquote percussionist in Slipknot, which meant he did kind of extra drumming and, of course, he was twatting bins and yeah. all that kind of you know added to the chaos and the, the overall kind of imagery and vibe of the band if you don't know uh, uh, Chris by the way you know, you're not a big Slipknot fan he's the nose guy <laughs> long nose lad um, and, you know which, which was quite an iconic mask as well it was one of the most famous like yeah, I can't really think of Slipknot live without him wanking his nose up this is like such a classic part of their like shtick they always do it is a classic thing and it sounds really stupid but those are the little things that um, that kind of add to a band's legacy and, and yeah like you said they were, they were such a gang and I think it's so rare for a band to go two decades without at least one or two fairly significant lineup changes. Yeah. And when you've got nine people in the band, there's a lot of room there for people to fall out or issues to come up. It's inevitable that it was going to happen at some point. And I think the part of the reason it hurts with Slipknot so much is just because people feel such an affinity with them. And if you're, if you're, if you're a maggot, you are part of a very exclusive club. And, and it hurts when, when uh, someone from a band that kind of feels like a real like you said, a unit, a real family, um, isn't there anymore. Uh, so I do get why people are, are sad about it and people have asked us a few questions about it that we'll get to later. Um, but I just think this is all the reality of a band, uh, you know, evolving and getting bigger and getting to a point where they're not just a, they're not just a band, they're, they're, a, they're a business, they're a, they're a life for all these people. And there's a lot of people invested in Slipknot now and, you know, the machine's gonna roll on. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they add another member. I don't feel like it's as important as replacing Joey and Paul, but um, like you said, it's the nine. Like it's mm-hmm. such an important part of their thing. So we'll see, I guess. But yeah, a lot, lot falling out as well. I know there's stuff to do with he was taking the pants to court or something and Corey's been saying stuff on Twitter, but 
I don't think we'll get into that until it's a bit clearer exactly what happened. But it really uh, sucks as well that there is an issue around this and that there has been a falling out because it sounds really horrible and morbid to say it, but you never know when something is going to happen to someone or people are going to die, and it just sucks when this happens because you know you could end up with a situation where things are never reconciled and yeah, of a course. group of people that were very tightly knit and not anymore and kind of for what you know it always ends up as being some you know dramatic reason or financial reason and it's just it's a bit sad isn't it yeah i mean hopefully it's not as uh quite as vitriolic as all that i imagine there's a lot of bitterness around it now because of what's already been said in the media but um yeah fuck knows really but uh there is one bin that will remain unpanged for the next talk which is sad for everyone <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens anyway stay tuned to metalhammer.com we'll have all the uh, ongoing uh, news about all that and we'll t- talk a little bit more about some of the specifics later on now this is something that's had me uh, watching Skyscanner for flights in, the, in, the, in recent <laughs> oh, I days why. oh mate let's talk about it what's going on Metallica are doing S&M again they're doing S&M um, this is for me one of the uh, most unexpected but fucking awesome things Metallica have announced in the last few years S&M, of course, their um, uh, hugely aspirational orchestral uh, live show that they did over a couple of dates 20 years ago and then put on the, put on the S&M album um, kind of went down as one of their most interesting experiments. And now uh, in recognition of that, and I think it's also they're like opening up a new venue in San Francisco or something. Um, it's like a big arena slash stadium venue that's opening. I think Metallica are the first band to to play it and they're, they're bringing back S&M so they're bringing back the San Francisco Orchestra um, I guess what well, what do you think of the first S&M album yeah, quite a I big love, part of their legacy I love it and do you know what I probably heard that before I heard a lot of other Metallica songs to be honest with you because I heard it when I was in high school when my friends played it to me and I didn't really know much about Metallica so it was kind of almost like my introduction in a way um, and I just thought it was really really cool and then over the years it's grow into something else as I've learned more about the bands and it kind of takes on a different context and I can't tell you how many weddings I've been to where people have had S&M like one of the songs is there really? walking down the aisle music that's or having, awesome or having it played while people have their food because it's sort of like you can play it in a gathering of non-metalers and they don't know it's metal yeah 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 it's metal like but you, you, you can play it in front of your nan it's like a, <laughs> it's like a secret way to get people to listen to metal and so I guess I've sort of grown up with it in a way you know it's 20 years old at this point and yeah I probably first heard it when I was in high school yeah I mean funnily enough I think actually it wasn't the first Metallica album I heard but I do think the first time I ever heard Nothing Else Matters was the live version that they released off S&M because I distinctly remember when I actually got around to picking up the Black Album, thinking that the rec- this sounds mental to say this, but thinking that re- the recorded version of Nothing Else Matters sounded a bit flat. Yeah, didn't I didn't have all that extra stuff in the background. That's exactly what happened to me as well. I heard the one on SM first, and I was gonna say actually that that's my favourite song on there because I just think it's so well done. And I just yeah heard it for the first time on there. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, it's it's interesting to look back now. Um, I was just kind of did a bit of research around the album because it, it's, been, it's been a few years since I've listened to it actually um, and when it came out there was there was a kind of a bit of a mixed reception to it obviously you had certain metal fans that weren't a fan of that because it you know again brought a bit of a softer 
uh, vibe to a lot of their songs. Um, a lot of the press kind of thought maybe they'd bitten off a bit more than they could chew. We're trying to put these big orchestral elements under kind of established metal tracks. And I kind of see what they mean by that, because I, I think the album's great as well. But for me, I think it's a lot of the slower stuff and especially a lot of 90s material that works best on SM. I think when you're trying to just stuff an orchestra under like battery, I think there's too much, a bit too a much going, going on. on isn't there? And it doesn't, yeah. I don't know if it works quite as well as like, I think Memory Remains sounds amazing, Bleeding Me sounds unbelievable. Uh, we just said like nothing else matters. Hero of the Day is a bit of a controversial track for many. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure. Actually, no, it's not a guilty pleasure. I like that song, and I think the orchestra version's really good. There are no guilty pleasures. Exactly. Fuck guilty pleasures. Um, uh, and I think the best old school track on there is For Who the Bell Tolls. Again, it, it, I mean, it kind of suits itself because it's such an epic it's song, dramatic. but it's a bit slower yeah. and it's a bit more plodding and methodical than a lot of the, the thrashier stuff. Um, what do you think of No Leaf Clover and Minus Human? Because those were written especially for the, for the album and they never played Minus Human again. I think they've played No Leaf Clover a few times since. I've right. never been massively first, if I'm honest. I, right. I think uh, I like them as part of the whole, but they're not like my favourite songs or anything. Yeah, it's interesting that they never really, as I said, I don't think they played Minus Human again um, and they didn't, really, they didn't put uh, studio versions of them on any albums as far as no. I know. Um, I do like No Leaf Clover, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that live, but again, I guess it'll be something maybe they'll bring back for this, so... It's weird, because I was reading some of those reviews as well, and I was quite surprised to find that there was negative stuff said about it, and I think actually your appraisement of it is very fair about it sounding, it's sort of working better on some songs than others, but I think for me when I heard it at the time, I was like, this is just cool, and I didn't have any sort of background or any context, or didn't know much about metal or anything like that. I just heard it and went, I really like this. So I think it's always worth remembering that you can break things down, you can be critical about them, but if you've never heard them before, or they come at a time and a place where no one had really done it before, there is. I don't think you should sort of remove that excitement or joy from something. Yeah, it's it's a weird one, isn't it? I can I can definitely appreciate why it was a little divisive at the time. But I think, you know, that, that's, what, that's what Metallica have always done, really. They've never been afraid to just do something a bit different. And sometimes they get it catastrophically wrong and sometimes they nail it. Um, and, you know, I mean, Metallica have had a giant target on their back ever since the Black Album, really. But now, now even earlier than that in a lot of ways. Now it seems so normal for metal bands to work with orchestras. You know, we just had a few weeks back, Partway Drive brought a string quartet to Alexander yeah. Palace, and it was like, wow, this is cool. But at the same time, it wasn't entirely unexpected in the sense of bands have brought classical musicians out before or recorded different versions of songs. I don't know, you know, how, I guess they were pretty pioneering in that sense of they were kind of the first big band to do it, or was there other bands before? I think. Uh, I We've think actually done a feature on this. There it. was another band before it, but I can't remember who it was. You have to go back through our hammers from like four years ago to when there was a feature about orchestral Didn't Deep Purple do something like yeah, this? Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, I think Deep Purple did something, but... Um, you but know, in the sort of the metal world. Right, right yeah, first, not a band that had to do it, written like, a song as heavy as, you know, Disposable Heroes or something. Like, it's just, just yeah. not, uh, not, wasn't on anyone's radar at all at that point. But now, yeah, now it's, it's almost commonplace, but... And then it's funny to sort of think back 20 years and think how revolutionary it was probably for this time. Yeah, totally. But, but and also as well, I think people forget that Metallica had kind of almost compositionally speaking, they had orchestral kind of vibes to some of their songs. 
Cliff Burton was a massive classical music oh, yeah, fan. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, he loved Bach and um, Orion. It was basically written like an orchestral piece, really. Uh, so this isn't, you know, it wasn't that far out of left field for them. Um, but yeah, as I said, as I say, when it worked, I think it was. I think some of the stuff on there is absolutely gorgeous. And and um, <laughs> I've been looking up flights. Yeah. Flights to San Francisco are less than three hundred quid at the moment, and that's not a nothing amount but it's not too bad for it's flights to horrendous. California and yeah. it's a bit like ah, I'm t- uh, tempting tempting very tempting oh well in other news we'll be well I was going to say you will be but I think we both will be out Marilyn Manson's nearly finished his new album already uh, apparently you ready for a new Manson album already yeah it's only been 18 months since the last one no no it's good but I was thinking about this he's not one to leave massive gaps between albums he actually consistently puts things out like probably an average of every three years yeah yeah probably he's not never like gone away for ages and ages and then come back again or had some sort of thing where he doesn't want to write albums for a while he's sort of consistently written them so good on Manson I say good on Manson yeah the only one I can think of is uh, I think there was a bit of a gap between Golden Age and Eat Me Drink Me but even that was like maybe four years. And it, yeah, that would be the most it would have He's been. He's never gone on hiatus, has he? I was very excited because he posted a picture on Instagram saying that he was almost <laughs> finished. And he was also wearing a Mr. Meeseeks hat. Mr. Meeseeks from Rick and Morty. Wow, amazing. Yeah. He's Marilyn Manson. Look at him. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you Marilyn liked Manson, The Last Manson a bit more than a bit more than I did, but I, I think did. but I think fair to say it was really well received. I think the last couple have been really well received, so for me, I'd like to, I think, I thought Pale Emperor was great. I think most people seem to have really enjoyed her and Upside Down as well. I still would like to believe there's a truly great album left in Marilyn Manson. Like, not just a really good one, a truly, like, you know, something de- genuinely worthy of his his legacy. I think you're too harsh on Manson. I'm definitely He's putting not. albums out every couple of years and they're all good. So they're not all good, come they on. Are. They're not all they good. All Eat Me, good. Drink Me was awful. It wasn't awful. It was. It wasn't. Not good album. It's just not as good as some other albums. Well, most of the albums. Uh, I think we said this before, but I really like... Um, oh, God, what was on after Eat Me, Drink Me? My brain's just gone. Uh, the one with... We're from America on it and... Um, Goddamn armored motherfucking Geddon and all those ones. What was that one called? Uh, Armage of Grotesque. The High End of Low? Oh, the High End of Low. The High End of Low? Yeah. I, I think that's a really, really underrated record. So. He's uh, got so many. Got nothing else to, to offer to that conversation, really. In I said on Twitter uh, yesterday that um, I don't know if any band ever has had a three album run as strong as Antichrist Superstar, Mechanical Animals, and Hollywood. And Golden Age of Grotesque is right up there as well for me, you know. I, I like all of them. I know you do. But also, Good for you. I'm interested because now he's sort of officially got this partnership going with Tyler Bates. They've done the last two records together. Oh, yeah. And so I'm just interested in kind of how sort of like bluesy, southern, rocky, laid-backy it's going to sound. Because mm. they've sort of been doing that a bit in the last couple of records. And he tagged uh, Shooter Jennings in his Instagram post as well, Outlaw Country. I also hope that Manson being obviously really inspired and motivated to carry on making new music means that he's in a, a decent place because, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know, but I do find it hard to still not worry about where he's at sometimes, judging by his live performances and that kind of stuff. He's still quite up and down and, I don't know, 
I just like I just want Marilyn Manson to be happy and banging out new music. I guess. You know. you know how much is a performance and how much is real life. That's the thing. You might be perfectly fine. Well, if it is just a performance, then you should sort that the fuck out because that's not how that works. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see, man. I'm still like last saw him. Last time I saw him was Heavy Montreal last year, and it I don't know. It just felt a bit like not quite there for me. We did an interview with Tyler Bates, and some of the things he said really made me laugh. He said that when Manson's in the studio, sometimes he'll just order random things off Amazon like a device that makes a noise that'll hide in someone's house and they won't be able to find. Like, <laughs> That's amazing. Like random like novels and things like that. And I was just like, I like the idea of him kind of sitting there and he's supposed to be writing an album and he's like, what weird thing can I buy on the internet? Cheeky now? Uncle Maz is just having a laugh. <laughs> Turned 50 this year, a couple of months back. What absolute legend. Yeah, we will see what happens with that very, very soon. Um, this MySpace news this week is a bit Yeah, it's weird, mad. isn't it? What's going on? They've lost their music from between the years of... I think it was 2003 and 2015, is that right? I don't know, that's a long... Something sounds like, like a long period. Yeah, they, well, they lo- yeah, lo- MySpace lost over a decade of music. It was like 50 million songs or something they've happen? lost. Um, they did, uh, I think, a server migration or something like that. And uh, they lost all the music um, that had ever been put on MySpace in that time, which is... I know that MySpace seems, well, it is a bit old hat now, isn't it? It has been for the better part of 10 years, I guess. But, um, you know, it was still a functioning site. It still had a lot of music on it. It still had a pretty high user base. And uh, for, a lot, for a long time, it was a massive part of alternative culture. And for that to all just be gone now is kind of scary, really. It's really scary because we've got this issue nowadays of archiving content because we're living in a society where everything is temporary everything is streamed we're not owning music anymore we're streaming music we're not owning tv films anymore we're streaming them so you end up in this situation who is archiving them who is keeping records of them if the servers go down are we going to lose the information and it is a weird thing because it's quite it's a contemporary problem we've only really had to deal with this in the last decade or so in terms of games, I was talking about this with someone yesterday, how weird it is now that you buy a game and as soon as you've got it, there's like um, usually an update on it already and then the game evolves because there are different updates that come through. So are they ever really archived? You know, we've just got this weird transient content. So this is kind of like maybe a warning sign. Well, yeah, like <laughs> what, what would actually... And what would actually happen if like Spotify went down or something like properly went down and had a similar situation because there's no reason it couldn't happen to any prominent streaming platform but, you, or, but that's the thing that you hope that those bands that are on Spotify have got archives of their own content with MySpace I don't know how many of those musicians would have archives of their music or if they just put it forgot about it carried on for oh yeah years, totally, you know I mean? totally but I'm, I mean just in terms I mean, of having access yeah and what would yeah. it do to the industry what would it do to music fans you know um, I mean I buy uh, vinyl as a, as a way to kind of look I guess supersede the fact that I don't pay for CDs anymore I still, I still pay for um, music on iTunes and stuff sometimes but really it's like if a platform like Spotify or Deezer or whatever went down, you would just have, I mean, most of the music I listened to for the last eight years, I just wouldn't have anymore. Yeah. It's just crazy to me. We put so much faith in 
these platforms and these websites and software and everything else. I sound like I'm not funny daddy the way I just said that, but you know what I mean. Internet websites. Yes, we put so much faith in these internet websites um, that you just think, what would happen? Most of my photos I've taken in the last 10 years are all on Facebook, do you know what yeah, I mean? Totally. I know that's getting a bit out of our wheelhouse for this, but you no, just think yeah, all my yeah. photos are on Facebook, loads of my records are online, um, uh, and I mean like public records, not music records, like all my music's on Spotify, I use Netflix more than I uh, use DVDs now. It's just crazy, isn't it? Mm. Like if, it, if a couple of things just suddenly went belly up and it all went wrong, I think it would cause a bit of a kerfuffle in popular culture, <laughs> shall we say. But it's also kind of crazy because MySpace was trying to reinvent itself as a music website. And, you know, I'm not saying it was massively successful in that, but that was kind of the idea. Because Justin Timberlake had a hand in it. I was going to say, does he still so, own it? I'm not sure, but he definitely had an attempt to revive it. And um, I mean, who gave yeah. him that advice? <laughs> Do you know what you should invest in? MySpace. Really? Yeah. Definitely. But you know, maybe he had a plan definitely. to turn it all around and focus on music and all the rest of it, but you just never know how things are going to come out. Well, who knows? So yeah. That's weird though, isn't that it? That sucks. Uh, who's your favourite MySpace generation band? Did you get into any bands from that era? I think I was a bit too old. Like, I was on MySpace, but I didn't have an emo fringe. <laughs> uh, well, I got into a job for a cowboy's in MySpace. They're a big MySpace band. Remember them? Panic at the Disco came through MySpace, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, there's a few kind of few that have lasted the distance, I think. Um, Broken Side is the last one that always comes to mind. Just one of Hilarious. the worst bands that ever lived. Yeah. Ever lived. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, in much more positive news, Amon and Martha back. Yes, one of the best metal bands going. Uh, have you heard the new single? No. You should. It's how, fucking great. How have I missed this? Well, it only came out yesterday. Okay. Quite late on yesterday as well, I think. Well, that's probably why then. That's probably um, asleep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the kings of Viking metal. Uh, but it's called Raven Flight. Exactly. Ah! Raven's Flight. Um, I, uh, the, the, I don't know if this is the album title or, or what's going on, but they're talking about berserkers a lot. There's some awesome uh, album art or maybe it's single art anyway there's some awesome artwork out there as well um, that's metal as hell it's just got this what I presume is some kind of viking berserker warrior like dressed in a bear skin and axes just screaming into the well the camera in theory just your average Friday night oh it's just awesome such just one of the best bands ever and they just seem to be getting bigger and bigger they did the roundhouse on the last cycle headline bloodstock their show's getting massive I think they could be uh becoming an even more significant force for metal in the coming years, which is really exciting. Very exciting. Do you concur? I do concur. I hope they make some merchandise of like a cuddly raven or something. That's a good idea. If anyone involved in a monomath or their label is listening, <laughs> get a raven or a cuddly berserker. Ravens though, Hugin and Munin were the Odin's ravens, weren't they? I didn't know that. I've, ju- I've been reading Neil Gaiman's uh, Norse mythology book recently, Ooh, but I haven't got that far nice. into it yet, so. Yeah. I'm, I'm topping up. Most of my North mythology has come from God of War and the Thor films. Fair enough. Which isn't good enough, really. <laughs> Do um, better. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm on back. The new album will be out later this year. Uh, we're excited because they are one of the most consistent and awesome bands going. It's going to be good. Shall we take some questions from the readers at facebook.com forward slash Metal Hammer Readers? Zach Wells asks How many members have to leave for it to stop being Slipknot? Nine. <laughs> I was going to say 4.5 I'd say it's over half I think 
to be honest with you, I feel like uh, as long as Corey and Clown are in that band, I can still believe that the spirit of Slipknot is being carried through it. And that's obviously bearing in mind that, like you said, you never know what can happen. You know, if someone passed away or someone left under really, uh, like, non-negotiable circumstances. There's, a, there's loads of reasons bands might carry on, but, um, you know, Corey is the voice of Slipknot and Clown is kind of the spirit of Slipknot, really, isn't he? I would agree and with it's all such an that artistic you said, as well. but I'd add to that, <coughs> excuse me, I'd add to that Jim Reed. Yeah. Because obviously we know he writes a lot. And he was, you know, he used to be with Corey in um, Stone Tower and obviously is not in that band anymore because he writes for Slipknot, so probably can't really ignore that. Yeah, fair point. So I'd say the three of them are kind of the core. I mean, you know, Slipknot without Sid in the band would be weird to me as well. Mm. Um, he, He was always the one that was always grabbing headlines for his shenanigans at gigs and... The gas mask is one of the iconic Slipknot masks to me. They're also iconic, aren't they? They are, yeah, but um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to, see. I mean, yeah, for, yeah, I think, yeah, I think adding Jim to that's pretty fair. I mean, Mick, Mick as well, like he's such a massive presence. His, his mask has kind of not really evolved very much, so it's stayed quite iconic and a massive part scary. of Slipknot's identity. A scary mask. He's a big, scary man. Um, I don't know him personally, he's probably lovely in real life, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, we will see. And anyway, you never know what might happen in the future. Chris and Jerry might not be in the band now, but as we've seen with countless bands over the years, um, burned bridges can be rebuilt. Oh, I felt quite deep the way I said that. Yeah, that's quite good. Quite deep. I should put that on an Instagram post. I was going to say, that's an inspirational <laughs> Instagram post. Hashtag metal inspo. <laughs> That's your new series. Uh, another Slipknot question from Michael Jolly. Um, do you think Slipknot is starting to become more about the money than the music? Which is quite a loaded question. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? Um, I think you mentioned earlier, basically, how once a band is set in motion, there are costs associated with that. Once a band gets to a certain level, there are a certain number of people that you have to pay to keep it going. Yeah. So there are, you know, there are financial pressures there and if you want those people that you employ to carry on being employed you have to keep the band going and that's a lot of responsibility for the band members you know to have those people's livelihoods on their shoulders so I think that has to be a consideration Um, but I also don't think that they would do it if it was just for the money because I'm sure there's other things the main members could do slash they've already earned some money to be comfortable so you'd like to think there's an element of it in there that is still not about the money and if you speak to someone like clown he would you know he just wants to talk about art for days so he's obviously got his heart in it in that respect yeah totally i i could not agree more i think uh slipknot is i mean saying things when people say is slipknot or is a band just about the money it's kind of like that's acting like you know, they could all just sack it off now and just live off their legacy forever, which is, is, is probably isn't true, to be honest. Um, there's nine or whatever it is now, eight, seven. There's a lot of people in that band. Um, they all rely on that for their income. And even though they are one of the biggest metal bands of all time, you know, <laughs> this is still their job. Like, this is what they make their living off. You can't, you can't just kind of... I don't think it's really fair to, to turn around to bands and kind of 
act like they don't have the right to continue their livelihood just because they face controversy and you know uh, big issues arising and all that kind of stuff like people weren't happy when Slayer continued after Jeff passed away people weren't happy when um, oh, I don't know there's a million examples you could you could bring up aren't it but bands are going to evolve and things are going to change you're not going to last 20 years in the music industry without suffering a few um big big bumps along the way and i think i don't have any issue at all with slipknot still existing as they are right now and i think you know if it gets to a point where people think the music really is really suffering and all that kind of stuff i i get that but to me people were still invested in slipknot people still care about what slipknot have to say and um i they're allowed to make money yeah you know but it's for not their just, art it's not just there's so many members that it has to be split between but it's not just them either it's everything around them it's the yeah, management exactly. it's the crew it's the people that provide all the stage gear it's every single aspect of that because those people all expect at a certain point that the machine's going to kick back into gear again and that they're mm-hmm. you know, going to be re-employed there's just a lot of people in that network if there's a band as heavy as Slipknot that are doing things on a scale to the extent that they are, headlining festivals, getting like top 10, top 5, number 1 albums, um, all that kind of stuff, like metal thrives because of that. Metal is only going to be in a better place when you've got a band that that size spreading music that heavy around the world. So as far as I'm concerned, like... Don't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. But I do hope the new album's good. I think they I think they need a really great album though. I will add that as well. I like the world more with Slipknot in it. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Do you want to do this next one? Sure. All very all very zeitgeisty these questions. Rich asks, with so many bands either straight up incorporating orchestras into their sound or otherwise reinventing their songs with an orchestra, do you reckon we should have a heavy metal proms? And if so, which bands would you pick to fill out the lineup? I bet we've got some of the same ones here. Bet we have. Uh, well, I've gone for some power metal, battle metal big hitters. Nightwish yeah. is a no-brainer to me. Um, with Intentation as well, who have actually done uh, a proms style I also gig. had those people. Um, Sabaton as well, very dramatic. Yeah. They've got lots of synth. And um, kind of an obvious one, I guess, but um, Iron Maiden as well. Uh, oh, you would put that, wouldn't you? Well, I would, but, uh, but because it's predictable, I did pick out some particular tracks. So um, I picked out Passchendaele, uh, Fear of the Dark, Blood Brothers and Clansman, just off the very top of my head very as good, songs you? that I think would sound amazing with a live orchestra. I picked out the symphonic bands as well. I also picked out Ghost for all their choral type stuff. Corn. Uh, Jonathan Davis, obviously with a solo record, he's and he's kind of done a lot of stuff with orchestras. And there was the DVD he had. Do you remember that a few years back? Yeah, sure. Where he kind of sung some of the corn songs and some of his own songs with an orchestra. Partway Drive mentioned earlier they had the string quartet at their show. Dimi Borgir, Aeonian was full of choral sounds. That would be pretty amazing to hear on a stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was kind of thinking of which bands now have worked with classical instruments. Yeah. Works for me. Yeah. I would go to that gig. I would too. Uh, Scotty asks, uh, if you had to get stuck on an island with one band, who would it be? His would be a monomorph. 
there you go. That's a lot of beard. Yeah. On one well, island. <laughs> I, I was. I would think that a monomath would be a good bet, Scotty, because Johan Hegg, I think, would know how to survive in the wild. So if I had to get stuck in a oh, with one clever thinking. with one band, I'd want it to be a band that had members that knew survival techniques. So I was thinking along the lines of Till Lindemann, who survived. Well, he went on a trip to the Yukon, um, and sort of he was canoeing and fishing and all that kind of stuff. He's very outdoorsy, um, so he probably knows his way around. I don't know, making a fire, skinning an animal, all the oh, You've thought about this much more sen- like smartly than I have. Uh, I was also thinking, again, to go out to Parkway Drive, Winston. Oh, I've got Parkway. It works out a lot, so I imagine he'd be quite good at like lifting logs. Well, I, I've thought about this trees. totally the wrong way, because I, I put Parkway Drive, but I was just thinking there'd be a good laugh to just hang out and surf with. Oh, I mean, <laughs> that yeah, was it. after you've... After you've, like, you know, made yourself of, a shelter and ensured you're not going to die, yeah. then you could just have a lovely time. I've completely... I basically thought of this as being, like, a nice weekend away with some bands. I thought just of it as, like... drinking on the beach, having a, a laugh. Being in an episode of Naked and Afraid. I think that's probably what Scott was asking, actually, but I just thought about it totally wrong. I've got, like, Love of God here just because Randy likes surfing as well, and that could be a good laugh. Just go and take some nice photos of the sunset and Instagram them. But, I mean, yeah, as long as you don't get eaten by a pack of wolves. I'm definitely... As long as Randy knows how to deter a pack of wolves. I also put Slipknot just because there's loads of them, so if you've got bored of one member, you can just go hang out with a different I one. I thought you were going to say, in case there's nothing to eat and you could start killing them and eating them. <laughs> no, that is... No. Which <laughs> we one would not you go start down. with? Well, Slipknot, probably Mick, because there's loads of him. He'd last a while. A good big chunk of leg would last you a couple of oh, days, no. I reckon. <laughs> it's gone dark. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would good? definitely be dead very quickly based on this. Just me and Parkway driving nothing to eat, well, really, not knowing what to do. <laughs> I'm really shit at survival and like my levels of physical fitness dramatically fluctuate. So I definitely was looking for somebody who could bring that to the party. All right. You, you... Who else has got mad skills? Um, 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 did we do a feature with Dieters Murder when they went fishing once years ago? <laughs> Oh, they could probably be good. I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we went fishing with our as murder years ago, so that could be good. So like Matt Heafy knows martial arts. Can yeah, like, to protect us against crabs. Like a lion in the face or something. <laughs> what desert island has a lion on it? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't think that works. Um, I know there's dangerous animals that come out at night. Yeah, but not a lion. No, it's um, not a lion. Uh, Chuck Billy has a, has a speedboat, so you could just bring that. Oh, and he knows about like Native American folklore and stuff like that. Yeah, we could just we could tell some really good stories. Do one of those cool meditational things he does. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, what is it? Like the sauna room things that they do. A sweat lodge type thing. Sweat lodge. Could, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. You sort for. of find yourself and centre yourself a bit. Yeah. See, so I'm just having like a nice spiritual weekend away. <laughs> that's I'm my that's my design. Scared of wild animals. You're getting mauled by lions. Death somehow yeah. on an island somewhere I don't know how it happened oh, well. I mean I wouldn't put it past me <laughs> such an L thing to do get mauled by lions um, let's move on <laughs> Drake asks what would be a good set not list? that Drake not that Drake no that'd be what weird. would be a good set list for SNM2 that Metallica just announced yes right this is good um, well obviously the, the big songs I mentioned earlier Memory Remains Bleeding Me who in the bell tolls, nothing else matters. I'd definitely keep those in. Um, again, I've kind of gone for like mostly kind of slower ones that have a bit more space to, to kind of squeeze in those orchestral elements and, and pull the song uh, out of itself a bit. 
So I'd love to see Unforgiven 1, 2 and 3. Just like all three of them back to back. I think that could be epic. Fade to Black. Um, my favourite Metallica song, which could just be gorgeous. I just think about that last kind of minute um, section would just sound amazing. The Day That Never Comes. I have that. Yeah, that would sound that would cool, be really I reckon. Cool, yeah. I think those melody, that new, 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 just lends itself. Um, and Halo on Fire as well, I have that just as because. Well. Oh, really? Yeah. Amazing. Uh, yeah, just the, especially, again, the last minute that Hello Darkness, say goodbye. I think that would, like, sounds epic with some some strings stuck underneath yeah um yeah those are the ones that came to mind for me yeah. you got any more uh well i thought it'd be funny to hear spit out the bone just what? because I don't, know, I don't know how it would go some nuts yeah i know but that's why i'd want to hear it why not because it'd be so different an orchestral terminator metal anthem i just think it would be wild sure um and I'd want to hear St. Anger. I know not everyone likes St. Anger, blah, blah, blah. But I'd want to hear it. That would be a mess, wouldn't it? No, I think it'd be all right. What, with with strings under that? I th- again, it's my one... My lifestyle determines my death style. Yeah, <laughs> again, it's one, that it's one that I'd want to hear. I think you need to have a few wild cards in there and stuff that's going to polarise people. I like the idea that you can pull it off and people would have to... Well, eat their words that would be pretty epic if they could do it yeah uh, yeah very envious of people that are going to that SNM 2 gig um, I want to go Atlas Rise would be good too I think yeah that would be great I, I, I do think a few of the tracks off um, Hard to Wire would work actually uh, that is it for this week we've got about one more week in the UK of the ghost issue being on sale we still get a few people tweeting us um, looking for one of the two covers that we put out there uh, so if you're still looking for a cover, um, just pay attention to the Metal Hammer Twitter because we will be retweeting people who are pointing out where you can get hold of them. We've seen people trading the covers to yeah, get both sets, all that kind of stuff. Awesome. The Ghost Fam is coming on strong. Uh, but you've only got one more week to get that Ghost cover with the two separate um, covers and all the special gifts that come with each one. So get out there, get on that. Uh, I'm going to go to the World Metal Congress this weekend. Awesome. So that should be fun. Uh, it's in Bethnal Green in London. If you're about, there's going to be talks all weekend about the state of metal today, uh, shedding, shedding a particular um, look at... Not shedding. Shedding a light on. Shedding a light on, thank you. That's what I'm looking at. Uh, shedding a light on uh, global metal and the issues affecting metal on the global scale in particular. There's some bands playing as well. Loads of big names, including Metal Hammer writers Dom Lawson and Tom O'Boyle will be on panels. Um, it should be really good. I sadly can't go. Why? Because I'm going to Taiwan. Oh! We will talk about that in a few weeks' time. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. Yeah, Elle's, Elle's going off to Taiwan on a top-secret metal mission for us. It's going to be big. So uh, stay tuned for more news about that. Um, yeah, in the meantime, stay metal, stay friendly... Look after each other, everybody. That's a nice message. It is a nice message. Hail Satan as well. (laughs) See you later. Bye.